podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From the people who turned a niche Scottish football podcast into a critically acclaimed TV show on the BBC. It's Review from the Terrace, a pop culture podcast network. Hello and welcome to the Still Game podcast. My name is Bethany Tennick. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Rewatchable. Hello and welcome to Review from the Turnbuckle. Debating the best in movies, iconic TV shows, classic albums, peak era wrestling and so much more. Some intern got fired for that. Like, <laughs> be like, Jared! And what would you have done? <laughs> Loved it. What a moment. What a moment. Review from the Terrace brings together a collection of professionals, pals, misfits and special guest interviews. The one and only Ewan Angus, Big G Telfer, Director of Still Games, Michael Hines. That's Review from the Terrace, a newly created podcast network with at least two shows dropping every week. Hi, neighbour, good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. It's been a long time, man. <laughs> Many people will say it's the biggest moment in the history of wrestling. It's about 35. <laughs> <laughs> Find us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. This is true. We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do. We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging. In fact, we'll take it seriously. We're only bugging. Hello, welcome to the Whistleblowers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Smith. I'm joined as ever by Martin Gritton. Martin Gritton, how are you? Hi, Mark. Great to see your face. Great to see your face as well. Ah, it's a nice start. Uh, it's a shame we can't continue that, though, because Gareth Dobson's here as well, and he's currently wearing a New York Jets hat, which are a very poor NFL team. But in real life, uh, he supports Spurs, which, if anything, are worse. Gareth, how are you feeling? I've quit sports. <laughs> yeah, it's the, only, it's the only sensible thing to do, I think. It really uh, is. But you know what? The weekend just gone was... Just a brilliant sports weekend. Aside from the football, we had the big fight, AJ Usyk. We had the Ryder Cup, which was a disaster. NFL, baseball's coming to the end of its uh, end of its season, regular season. It was just great. It was a great time to be alive. Uh, so let's start this positivity. Let's continue it by talking to Gareth Dobson about Spurs against Arsenal <laughs> on Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about it briefly because we're, we're sort of really a preview show now. But let's talk about Spurs-Arsenal. Gareth, I assume you watched it. Um, how much of it did you manage before sort of feeling sick? So if I'm to be completely honest, I was planning on taking the dog out for a walk at half time. I decided to take the dog out for a walk after about 15 minutes because you could see how it was going. By the time I got back, Spurs were 3-0 down and I probably should have yeah. stayed out for a bit longer. Um, so it was... You know, the skinniest pretty, dog in the world, if you did, did this every time. It truly is the skinniest dog ever. I, I went full Triggs, essentially, for fans yeah. of uh, of Roy Keane and his uh, post-World Cup escapades. Um, it, it was a very, very tough watch if you're a Spurs fan. I, I think, um, as well as... It was it was hard to see on two levels. Firstly, how poorly Spurs have played, and also how, how well Arsenal played. You know, it was, it was, it was polar opposites in, in the performances, and it shows how much... I guess things can change in the space of a few weeks. You know, a few weeks ago, going into the international break, Spurs 100% record, Arsenal 100% Arsenal record. Were buried. They were absolutely buried. And there was a lot of, you know, talk amongst Spurs fans or certainly my friends saying, wouldn't it be amazing if we got to the end of September and, you know, we could bury them at the bottom of the table by giving them their fourth or fifth defeat in a, you know, in a row and look at them now. And I, I think, honestly, what you've probably seen is a, regression to the mean for both teams. Arsenal were 
definitely not as bad as they appeared and Spurs absolutely were not as good as their points tally uh, implied. No, that's fair enough. But luckily you are back on the saddle this weekend uh, playing Aston Villa who have been really great to watch and (laughs) really exciting and effective. Grits, um, Aston Villa so far, talk me through what you've thought of them so far but also this game coming up against Spurs at the weekend. Do you see this being more of the same for Spurs, i.e. a non-stop nightmare? Well, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to see Villa continue because I don't think anyone can not, any neutral certainly, can't not root for Villa at the minute. You know, they've lost their um, talisman in Grealish. They brought, they've signed some good players, but they've also spread it across the team. There's a lot of match winners throughout their side and they always seem to catch people unawares. And, you know, they've got that, the underdog tag, uh, you know, the players like the, the, the goalkeeper, what is it, Martinez? Um, he's yeah. uh, He's incredible. I mean, like, just really great team to watch and get behind. Um, I enjoy the way they play. And, you know, they seem to be put people in their place. Yeah, there was a lot made over the weekend, Gareth, of Spurs midfield. I know Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football talked about just how sort of, just how much space there was for opposing centre midfielders. And coming up against Aston Villa, who have got Louise, and then, of course... Um, John McGinn, who's playing more as an eight this season than as a six, I'd be a bit worried again if I was Spurs here. Is that is that a part of the part of the pitch that you're most concerned about? I, I, I think so. It, it was probably the one area that you know Spurs didn't really address in the summer. I mean, they had a lot of uh, uh, holes to plug. They they brought in a right back, which I think was a big a big concern, and hopefully he'll he'll pan out. But I I think uh, beyond Hoiberg, there's no one in in that team or even that club you can probably rely on to 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 do the dirty work to to really we'll get presence well skip i mean skip is a nice complimentary player i think to to what else they should have that they don't have he's a he's a very neat and tidy player he's probably a little too inexperienced now to be relied on um it's i think if you play him and hoiberg you probably still need a bit more a bit more still spurs have got a lot of these kind of weird hybrid number eight, number 10 players like Lo Celso, like Ndombele, like Deli Ali, um, converting Deli into this sort of, you know, very sort of rock solid central midfielder. I think that might do okay against the lesser teams, but against the better teams, he'll be found out because that's just not just, that's just not his best position. And, you know, I, I think that was almost a way of trying to accommodate him in the team. Um, he's obviously a very talented player and, his you know confidence hit rock bottom in the last couple of years of of, of Mourinho. Um, mm. Potentially, they're just trying to find a way to to build him back up, but it's not his long term position as far as I can see. So, I was a little surprised they didn't try to bring in the next player. So, you know, without Hoiberg, they're absolutely lost. And this idea that you compare Ndombele and and, and Deli Ali or, or bringing Celso, it's it just clearly and plainly doesn't work. Yeah, there, there seems to be a. The, the balance isn't there. The mix isn't right. Uh, Grits, Deli Ali. if we were to talk about Deli Ali five years ago and we'd say, you know, in a couple of years' time, a few years' time, he's going to be playing as a, a central midfielder. I think you'd be pretty surprised by that, wouldn't you, given the, the, the ability he showed as sort of a 10 a few seasons back? Well, well, this is it. The attacking midfielder, you're talking about a position that they've essentially got loads of players that were really good at football at school that didn't really have a position. They're like, yeah, he's just really good at football, but um, doesn't like <laughs> doing anything in. hard. He doesn't like doing hard work or doesn't like doing things that he doesn't want to do. Loads of little chippy players that are like, you know, that will 
win you the odd game a season. You know, like Lanzini's for West Ham. Why is he not playing every week? You know, players that you're like, this guy's got loads of ability. There's obviously a disconnect, and Ali's a classic example of that. He just must piss people off, right? It just in terms of either not taking instructions, not doing what he's told, not working hard enough, not because I, you're absolutely right. Five years ago, you're looking at him going, this guy's the future of the England team. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think Aston Villa, in a way, are the opposite of that because. It, with Villa, they've got a lot of uh, hard workers, but they've got a lot of quality. But those quality players are happy to put the shift in as well. And it's one of the things that sort of got overlooked with with Jack Grealish, but Dean Smith gets his players playing. He gets them playing in all parts of the pitch. You'd see Grealish, even at £100 million and all this hype around him, he, he would do it then. He still does it now. You see it with the likes of... Um, Ollie Watkins, who's a, a really good striker, but one of the reasons he's so good in the modern game is he just continually presses. And I'd be worried, Ings less so, but I'd be worried if I was Spurs, if I was playing the likes of Sanchez and Dyer at centre-back, which I don't know why that was happening in the first place. I can't see that continuing without at least having Romero in there for you know the, a large portion of the remainder of the season. But I'd be worried if I'm playing Dyer and Sanchez having Watkins run after me all game. Yeah. Gareth, um, I feel like I'm just listing off a bunch of concerns you should have. Uh, <laughs> but I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Probably, you know, short, Spurs have now had their, their asses hands to them by, you know, Chelsea and Arsenal. And what they probably want now is, is, is a guinea game. And Palace and, you know, a nice rollover game where they can, you know, the get right game, as we like to call it. But I can't see Villa being that team. It's almost the exact opposite what they want. You know, it, it's someone who are well-organised, well-motivated. The team plays as a team. All the things that... I mean, motivation, maybe it's, it's a bit harsh to level out of Spurs. But beyond that, these are all things that Spurs are not. Um, I, I, I do wonder, you know, I mean, inevitably, because Spurs are a high-profile team, um, not a good team, but a high-profile one, there's a lot of, you know, discussion already about about uh, Nuno because he clearly wasn't ultimately the first choice. And the moment that happens, you're under pressure when you, you know, winning three games is fine. Losing three games is is is, is intolerable. Um, so I think if things keep going south, it's going to get very noisy very soon. Yeah, Grits, um, when Daniel Levy appointed Nuno, I think he specifically said he's, he's getting a manager in who can continue with the proud tradition of attacking football from Spurs. I mean, is this just another example of Levy talking bollocks? Yeah. <laughs> um... I mean, t- attacking football, it's, you haven't got the, they just don't have the players to play that way, or they've certainly not played it with No, the, they do, they, they do have the players to play that way. Come on, that's not fair. These, these were a lot of the same players that played that attacking stuff under yeah, even going to the 18 months ago, they had the team, but in 18 months, if you're not going to play those players and give them a regular run of the team, they just rely on Sun and Kane and then just put players behind them and say, you work it out. 18 months is a very long time yeah, yeah. in football, Mark. And I think, look at how much the other teams have developed. So, you know, the way the Chelsea have kind of reinvigorated that sort of at- attacking but solid um, set didn't we see that, this? But, but we saw this last year with, with Nuno at Wolves. Last two years, they had good attacking players and he just couldn't get a tune out of them going forward. They were just solid. They were solid and hard to beat. They weren't attacking and exciting to watch at any point. I think they were just set up. They were set up because they knew that they were going to have very few chances in games, so they had to be a slightly more defensive. You expect more from Spurs? I think that's the whole point. Yeah. I think you go to yeah. Spurs and, you know, it's the same with Doherty went there from Wolves. All of a sudden, they want him to be some 
better player that was better than the Wolves player. It's like, no, he was just the same player, mate. So it's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, I think... But, sorry, Gareth, you, no, you're I was the fan say, the, the, <laughs> It's the, not all and gloom. The big, well, there, there it really is. The biggest concern, I think, for, for Spurs is this is not a short-term issue. We're now talking across three managers. I think because Spurs got to the Champions League final, it's easy to ignore the fact that that season, Spurs actually dipped quite dramatically. So this is... They're now entering and into their fourth season of decline, uh, given from where they are. And at some point, a fourth season decline becomes a major issue. It's not like this is a blip. This is essentially yep. the direction Spurs have been heading in for for, for some time. Well, the, the, good, the good two years, the good two years was the blip. Yeah, it's a shortage of HGV drivers and a problem that started four <laughs> years ago. And your four courts are empty. You're empty, Gareth. And what are we going to do about it? I have no idea. Good stuff. Well, what, there's no better way to end the first half of the podcast than with that. Grits bringing in some real topical stuff, and that's why you listen to the show. All right, after the break, we'll talk about uh, a select few of the other games coming up this weekend, um, including, uh, who should we talk about? Probably Liverpool City. I mean, that's the biggest game of this. All right, let's, let's do that in the second half. Bye. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers. Gareth has dried his eyes. That first half took a bit of a toll on him, I think. Very uh, very bleak stuff for Spurs. But you know what? It will get better, Gareth. Um, maybe. Uh, Sunday afternoon, 4.30 kickoff. It's the big one. Liverpool versus Man City. We say this every other week, but this is the biggest game of the season so far. Isn't it, Grits? Yes, absolutely. Of course it is. Absolutely. absolutely. My beloved Man City crushing <laughs> the hated Chelsea. It was great to see, you know, and, and let's yeah, hope yeah. they go from strength to strength because those plucky underdogs have really come through it the last few years. Yeah, the, the Paul Dickoff team, that's what this team still is, surely. Uh, the, the Liverpool Morrison, game, yeah. this, yeah, it felt like, um, it felt like something pretty special, that performance uh, against Chelsea. Um, do you think City like having these big games in a row? They had Liverpool, uh, sorry, they had Chelsea, they've got PSG midweek, now they've got Liverpool. Do you think they like having this uh, sort of sustained high, high end competition in a row? Is that for me? Yeah. Uh, steady drumbeat of decent matches with players playing high yeah. tempo. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you prefer up, that? Uh, I, I did a, You can do it for so long. You can have your Saturday, Tuesdays. If you're winning games, it's lovely. When they come thick and yeah. fast, you just seem to be on a no-lose gamble. And then, you know, you come unstuck and then it's all a bit miserable. But yeah, it's I much prefer to be playing matches rather than, uh, you know, training for, for games. There. But I mean, specifically, do you, I mean, specifically, do you like playing the, the better teams in your division, you, you know, the bigger rivals in a row? Or would you prefer to have them spaced out? You know, oh, have sorry. one in, in October, another one in January or whatever? That's a good question. If you're in good form, again, it comes down to form, but I would say that City would probably like that because we've seen the runs that they go on. They don't seem to stop. Yeah. And when they you know, become that juggernaut that we know they can be. So, uh, yeah, let's see what they can do. Uh, Gareth, after that game at the weekend, the Man City-Chelsea one, um, how has that changed your thought on who's going to win the league this season? Uh Possibly, I think it's just remind a reminder. us who you remind us who you thought would win it before that game. So I, I, I really thought that Chelsea should have been favourites in that game, and um, yeah, yeah, and rightly so. I, I would still argue for that. That was a a decent, uh, you know, statement. But I agree know, Man with City you. absolutely. They intermittently they show reminders why Guardiola is 
is probably still the best manager in the world and Man City have an incredible collection of talent. And and I do think that these are the games that Guardiola gets up for now and also the team. You can see the way he treats these other games, you know, when they go and play Watford or Norwich, like you can see it is genuinely a chore for him now. He hates it and he also especially Full of contempt it. for those, yeah, really, how dare yeah. you make us play you. <laughs> yeah, and how dare you make us play and also how dare you make us work by putting 10 men behind the ball and, you know, yeah. the 11th man sort of maybe parallel the ball if you're lucky. Um, and clearly he doesn't think it's very sporting and these teams should be <laughs> rolling over or doing a sort of, you know, charge of the light brigade style affair where they all just plough forward to see if they can get a goal and City can go and win 15-0 and, and one draw. So games like, yeah, I can see why it's more, it is more entertaining and invigorating for him because, you know, Liverpool and PSG, you assume will come out and we'll play a bit more and we'll give them a bit more of a test. So it's, it doesn't surprise me. And I equally, I suspect that, you know, City could come out of this, this eight day period with, you know, three wins, two wins in the draw and, and feel pretty good about it. It's quietly, I guess, Liverpool have been doing very well. They haven't had that big high profile game yet, I guess, to, for us to yeah. really sort of spotlight them. They've just been quietly getting on with it. Salah looks absolutely incredible as good as he's ever been. Yeah, well, they had Chelsea, and and that sort of uh, ended up being sort of a, uh, a bit of a nothing one, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that can you know that that can suit teams in the long run. And they're um, top Grits, of the league. Let's th- not forget Liverpool. This is the thing: Liverpool are top of the league. Uh, before the game against Brentford, they conceded one goal all season. They looked just back to it in terms of their back four, back five, if you include the keeper. They just looked so on it. Um, do you think that Brentford game, conceding three, will change Klopp's? Um, outlook for this game at the weekend uh a good question i the brentford everyone seems to have looked at brentford as an anomaly when they played them haven't they as if like it's this outlier yeah. and actually they're they're perhaps exposing the weaknesses and some good management and they've got that kind of new new team feel that just come people can't quite work out they've got a fresh angle the way that Leeds kind of took some people by surprise last season really enjoyed the watching brentford i don't think Klopp will change anything i think he he knows what his best team is it's just getting the right uh, balance and the right mentality going into the matches. Um, you know, and, and, and I think a big thing to play in this is the fact that fans are back now. Um, you know, Anfield is... A, That's huge. A of, yeah, especially for a club like them. I mean, more, much more so than we're looking at, um, at City, obviously. Uh, but even teams like, you know, making them a cauldron. Stamford Bridge becomes a difficult place to go again, you know. You look at you look at games where people say that Arsenal's atmosphere is flat. Well, you know, a friend of the pod, Alan Alga, was tweeting about, you know, how incredible the atmosphere was there. And it really was yeah, a cauldron yeah. for the, the Spurs players and fans. Yeah, that can have negative effects, though, can't it, Gareth? I mean, we've seen plenty of times crowds turn on the home teams. Um, we might start seeing it a bit more at Old Trafford. They play Everton this weekend, coming off the back of a home loss against the team that are about to beat you, Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> let's talk about United. I mean, I know a lot has been said since the game against Villa, the penalty. I mean, the sort of pathetic faux apologies about missing a penalty. We'll, we'll put that aside for one minute. Um, but do you think United are a worse team than last season? They... I mean, I've said this before, the, the frustration for me is that Solskjaer seems to fail to integrate these new players. Obviously, Ronaldo has come in and, and started straight away and he does demand that. It's not surprising. But otherwise, it, it does feel like the same old 
the same old lags, which is a very unfair word to use. But it's, I don't know how much better, certainly I don't know how much better the team is. And, you know, Varane has come in. He's obviously not quite settled yet. He hasn't had that imperious game. Maybe, you know, that's coming. But it's, you know, once again, you know, they had a nice start. They, they won a few games. And then as soon as they lose to someone like Aston Villa, you, the microscope goes on. And once this iteration of United are under the microscope, you realise there are inherent issues. You know, Solskjaer has only, I think he's only picked up half the available points at home since he's been the manager. And like, that, that is the very damning statistic. And even, you know, you might point to the fact that, you know, a lot of those games are in a pandemic where home and away became much less of a decisive issue. But ultimately, you can't steer a ship as fancy and as well-equipped as as the Manchester United one um, in the in, in the manner in which he has. You know, I, I do think yep. that this is, you know, they are a listless ship to, to continue the metaphor. Um, keep going, and keep going with it. Keep, they'll, they'll keep sailing until they see that iceberg and I suspect Ooh. that Solskjaer will not be able to turn it around in time. Good stuff. Um, Grits, what I've noticed with United this season, I, th- I think, by the way, they're a worse team than last season, despite, I think, excellent players going into that club. And, you know, it takes time to, to bed in, fine. But I think they're a worse team. And one of the main reasons is, there's this phrase, hero ball, you know that phrase, right? Where you've got a team of individuals who are just looking to do it all themselves. And the game against Villa on Saturday... Um, that's all I was seeing. I wasn't seeing any sort of coherent patterns of play going forward. Uh, the midfield, I mean, I've talked about Fred extensively on this show. I don't think he should be anywhere near a top 10 Premier League team, let alone a, a team with ambitions like United's. But the hero ball element of it, I mean, Mason Greenwood, who I think is a phenomenal player, he threw or four times in the first half, got the ball and just went for it. Just sort of ran at as many defenders as possible. You can't, that's not, a, that's, that's not, a game plan is it that that's nothing and it feels like the players are sort of running things yeah nonsense i mean are, are you still there um sorry i just went a bit laggy the i obviously the game before at west ham west ham did everything they could to give them that game they were in the same thing there they had uh just abstract attacking strategies relying on individual moments of brilliance um, yeah. it just goes against that whole ethos of Man United you know waves of attack and interchangeable play and just you know really swashbuckling sort of high tempo stuff and I don't think um, and I know that we're probably harking back to an era of United and perhaps the Premier League that doesn't quite exist anymore but when we see other teams that um like West Ham, when they, when West Ham went forward, ironically against them, if they'd had Antonio, they were up front, superb. As we Absolutely. saw, you know, with him back at the, against Leeds, you know, it's when you just see a team that have a have a plan, even if it's a very simple plan, um, yep. and stick to it, um, it can work. And I just, yeah, United have just they, they're overlaying on top of old bad plans. If you know what I mean. You, so. you, you mentioned, yeah, I completely agree. Um, you mentioned they're sort of harking back to a. a, a a bygone era of Premier League football. And I, I assume you're talking about sort of to Alex Ferguson and whatever with United. But it's very easy to look back on that era and go, oh, look, they're just playing swashbuckling attacking football. No, they're not. It looks like that, but it's all very, very controlled. They know what they're doing. All these trigger points are happening. It's, I just don't think there's really much of a, a game plan at the minute. And as much as I like Solskjaer, and I think he's certainly done a great job with them, much better than any of us thought he would do. And I think the main litmus test of that is... 
are they in a better position now? If he was to leave today, are United in a better position now than when he took over? And yeah. I think absolutely there's no debate that they are. But Gareth, do you think a Thomas Tuchel, a Jurgen Klopp, a Pep, a Brendan Rodgers even, do you think they improve this Man United team? Do you think they would make this team competitive and win something this season? Oh, 100%. Apart from Brendan Rodgers, every manager you've listed there, I think, would do a better job than Solskjaer. Um, and it's, yeah, you're, you're Apart from Brendan Rodgers? Apart from Brendan Rodgers, I mean... I, you think I, Rodgers would do a worse job than Solskjaer? I don't think he would do a better one. I think he has, okay. if not similar flaws, he has the same number of flaws in his in his management. Where that's a big shout, Gareth. To, it is. It is. He. I think he he falls short. Uh, he might fall short. But I mean, I was having a discussion about social the other day. I think he essentially manages to the level of the team he he's in charge of. You know, you look at teams like Cardiff. He he was no better than that Cardiff City squad. I I do think that. You know, Solskjaer is winning games because he has a good team and not the other way yeah. around. Um, and ultimately, you know, if you have a team with a collection of players as good as Man United, all you want is a manager who can add five or ten percent onto that, and they would be in, a, in I think, a much better shape than they are in now. It's you know, the manager should ideally you want an incredible manager like like Guardiola, like all these people you said, but at worst, you just want someone who's just just a bit more than competent and I you know sometimes I'm going to stick on this I'm going to stick on this Rogers thing Uh, Grits at the weekend Leicester um, did Leicester draw at the weekend? Yes they drew two 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 with Burnley they drew two all with Burnley that's right and Wood scored a goal in the last minute it was ruled out but Leicester fans at the end were uh, well they booed a substitution by Rogers. Rogers was getting a bit of flack now this isn't going to happen but let's say Rogers was to leave Leicester I think he would do a much better job at United for two main reasons. First of all, he always um, overachieves with his sides. And secondly, the place he focuses mostly on, did it at Liverpool, you can tell me if he did it at Celtic or not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but certainly he's done it at Leicester. The place he focuses mainly on is centre midfield, which is exactly where United are lacking. For those reasons, I think he'd be a really good upgrade on, on Solskjaer. Hypothetically, it's not going to happen. I'm just saying that Gareth's uh, actually... He's actually uh, offended me there with what he said. <laughs> I think he brings all those things that you talk about with those other managers. But I, again, when Gareth talks about 5%, I mean, Sam Allardyce fits into that bill with me. I mean, Sam Allardyce should <laughs> yeah. come to United and actually play with a more coherent oh, uh, right. vision. This has gone off the rails. No, this this no, podcast has gone off the no, rails. <laughs> no. All right, but we'll go back to Brendan. You're, ab- you're absolutely right. Brendan's uh, the engine room in midfield. and. Uh, <sighs> Also, a comparison to this United team, I find Man United for years now have they'll play a front three and they're stagnant unless because Rashford's quite dynamic, but Martial just slows the play down. Players that want to go from a standing start. Luckily, Fernandez has got the ability to throw some bit of clever play in and a bit of quality, but. The whole point of playing three up front is to be like the Red Arrows. Do you know what I mean? When you see Liverpool doing it, they got Mane, yeah. Salah. For me, they just well at the are, minute they... it's Pogba at the minute, and he, he comes so narrow that you you know you you're missing out on someone on the left wing. And the ball, um, well, the ball just stops when it goes to those yeah. players. You talk about that hero ball. The ball goes to them and it stops because they think I need to do something. And no, it's just keep the ball moving and the the pockets appear. And Liverpool represented they're more like Barcelona in that respect when they had the front three, the way they interchange and move. And then you're just like right. 
I, I, and it's almost like when you watch a boxer, when you like watching Joshua, I'm being very topical tonight. When you watch a guy like Joshua, he's got a great plan, but he gets hit in the face a few times and it's got all goes to cock. You know what I mean? You just move defences around and it doesn't matter how organised the team is, you can rip them to shreds. And United yeah. don't move teams around quick enough. Yeah, I agree. Okay, then one word then, Martin. Would Rogers be an improvement on uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Yes. All right, let's move on to the United opponents then. Rafa Benitez brings Everton to Old Trafford. Um, have they have they warmed to him at all here, Everton fans, Gareth? I suspect any sort of warmth has probably diminished a little bit in the last few weeks. They've been, you know, fairly middling um, since that last... Yeah. They beat Norwich 2-0, um, one of which was an Andrews Townsend penalty. I don't think they were particularly exciting... Um, you know, getting thumped 3 0 by Aston Villa, regardless of what we feel about Aston Villa, I don't think that's a good look. You know, I think Everton fans will look at the name Villa and be like, why are we losing 3 0 to them? That, that's so, your comp- that, at least that is your competitor. That's a rival yeah, exactly. for, this, for this league, that's, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, that's your sort of top seven, top eight sort of, uh, yeah. you know, big clash. And then I suspect that, you know, like we were saying with Nuno, winning three in a row is all well and good, but losing three in a row is, is intolerable. And, you know, Everton have lost for in a row, but my point is the defeats will always stick in the craw of the fans much more than the joy of the win. And I think Everton fans will still be predisposed to being very uncertain of Benitez at best until you know he pulls off some big signature wins, like if he could go to um you know play host Manchester United and 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 get a win, and if he can is stick that them old in the top four. It, oh, it is at Old Trafford. So yeah, I mean, I, I think this has got. This has absolutely got. Uh, I mean, wouldn't even be an upset. This this has got Everton win all over it. I think. <laughs> Grits, have you, have you been impressed? Have you been impressed, Grits, with the I, um, the sort of budget t- signings Everton have made? I tell you, I I am baffled. I am stultified at looking at a team that includes Andros Townsend, uh, Gray from Leicester, Rondon from Newcastle three years ago, and Alex Iwobi as your uh, <laughs> answer to any. I mean, that sounds like a quiz question. It sounds like a <laughs> reject from middling clubs that have somehow come together. And I think I think Benitez should be given uh, the freedom. Of, well, I'm, I'm sure he still has the freedom. Of the, got it. Give, yeah. give him another key. Um, it's incredible. I mean, that team is absolutely minging on paper. I, and I, mm. I, I'm sure I wouldn't want to play against them either. It's just the unfashionable side of... and let, I mean, let's face it, Everton have always been the unfashionable side of Liverpool. So I like I think it's quite a good fit and I quite enjoy it. And they're absolutely going to win 2 0 at Old Trafford. <laughs> I mean that 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 front yeah. three as you described it, that's very much when your team plays a random Turkish team in the Europa League. You look at the team sheet, like that's where they all went. Right? Are he's still alive? What? Yeah. He's how much is he on over there? Christ. But, um, <laughs> incredible, yeah, yeah. incredible scene. So yeah, uh, oh, more the power to him. Getting rid of um, you know James Rodriguez and fit and changing you know changing him up for a bit of Andros Townsend. Why the hell not? Listen, this is the is the equivalent of Poundland. It's like repurposing goods that cost five quid elsewhere and just put them out there. And I'm still going to buy them. Yeah, but you know what? Like, so Rondon did a. I think it was good over here before. Um, he followed Benitez, or Benitez maybe followed him to to the China League, um, and now he's back, and he looks knackered. He looks <laughs> knackered, and he's the one who's filling Dominic Calvert Lewin's boots while he's out injured. But as knackered as he looks, he's scoring twice, isn't he? On Saturday lunchtime. Oh, he'll get on the end of just. It'll be like a near post flick. He'll just get yeah. on something. He should. It'll be a back pass from Maguire. And it'll just like, you know, and he'll, he'll deflect it in off a rebound well, save from De Gea. 
Here's the other thing. United have got injuries across their back four. They're Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire went off in the game against Villa. Um, you know, Wan-Bissaka's uh, suspended for the Champions League game. They're playing Villarreal with Diego Dalot, Lindelof, Varane and uh, Telles. It doesn't look good for them at the minute. And I think if they lose that Villarreal game, the pressure on them for the Everton match is absolutely enormous. And that's when you can see a Benitez masterclass coming in. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, it wouldn't, would any of us be surprised if Everton won on Saturday? No. The only, no value, yeah. the only value in that Manu defence is at Scrabble by the sounds of those names. So <laughs> I, I think let's, let's just enjoy the next week. Hang on, what, what, what mad letters are there? V for Varane, is that it? One, one V. Well, Tellers, Tellers, mate. Tellers, where's Tellers. the Z? Where's the Z in Tellers? T E L. Well, I spell Jesus it with a Z. Well, look, it's, it's okay. Well, you can spell with, <laughs> with X's and Y's as well, and sod it. I mean, it's, it's all also about like when you're talking about <laughs> when you're talking about pressure building. Uh, this is the last round of fixtures before the next international break, and oh, you know, certain, God. certain I know. Tell me about it. Certain managers will be so fearful of having a bad result and then having the media pressure on them for two weeks, the spotlight. You yeah. know, grumpy fans. So I think for 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 people like Solskjaer and, uh, and Nuno and even. You know, Brendan, so Leicester are playing uh, Crystal Palace on Sunday, which is a, a really interesting game. Two teams with similar records, but I suspect quite different narratives to them. You know, things are largely very positive for Patrick Vieira, and I think people are thinking he's doing a good job of essentially completely changing around the club. Whereas uh, Leicester, you know, have uh, one point fewer, one point more, very similar record. And I think yeah. if they, you know, if they don't get three points against uh, Palace, I think, you know, there'll be a lot of well, have Leicester hit their ceiling? Have they gone as far as they can go? Yeah, all, all the nonsense that we enjoy reading, consuming and debating about. So I think the interest rate might to. come at... And contributing to. And I think, you know, the interest rate's going to come at a really bad time for a few managers. And this is usually the point in the season where the first manager falls. So let's see if that's the case. Who's your, who's your money on then, Gareth? I'll ask you as one of the second grits. So I have a think. Who's your first manager to drop? The sack, who's winning so, the sack race? annoyingly, I'm not sure I have an answer for that. So, you know, Solskjaer's not leaving this season. Uh, I think it would be too quick for Spurs to make a change. It would be so embarrassing. And I don't think that the manager is necessarily the issue of that club. It's more of a systemic thing. Um, Brendan Rodgers is obviously not going to get sacked by Leicester. I mean, you could potentially see Norwich just looking looking at things and say, we've now lost 47 Premier League games in a row. Do we just go for a Hail Mary and bring in someone different and see if things change. I mean, Norwich have now lost all six in the Barclays. Yeah. And I think they lost, was it 10 in a row or similar last time they're here? So in terms of consecutive Premier League games, they have lost a lot. And they've got Burnley away this weekend, which Burnley will be looking for their first win of the season. Tough place to go. Well, is it? Oh, uh, that, that's, that's your wild card one. You know, does, does mm. uh, Sean Dyche walk away? He won't get fired, but could he walk away? Um, I wonder how. What's the name then? Come on, Gareth. Tell me the name. Who's getting fa- who's getting sacked? Give me one name. Sadly, uh, unexcitingly, I think Norwich make the change and right. they go Grits. and uh, lose their man. Nuno may Grits. get rid of him. He's shite. Nuno's Nuno. gone. Right. Yeah. Listen, we're going to wrap it up there because genuinely, Grits has got to go to yoga. That's what the podcast has become. Namaste, Grits. Grits. Namaste, Gareth. Uh, we'll see you all at uh, the same time, same place next week here on the Whistleblowers. Until then, goodbye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk.
www.sportsocial.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.